world may only be accessible within an arm's reach for a lot of our kids. He is the smartest person in the room always, even as a three-year-old. He just amazes us every single day, even though he's not able to fully see his world or hear it at all. He's just figured out a way to live in it better than we ever could. First, we have to believe that they can and will tell their stories and then try to understand how and what they sense. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. While working with students who are deafblind, there are often complex communication needs. Our students may need multiple access points to socialize and communicate effectively with the people in their world to build strong connections and relationships. Interveners are a critical piece to this puzzle. Hi, my name is Rachel Collins, and I am one of the DeafBlind Education Consultants on the Texas DeafBlind Project, which is housed here at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. So what is an intervener? So basically, an intervener is typically a paraprofessional that has or obtains specialized training specific to the needs of students who are deafblind and provides one-on-one -on -one support to a student who is deafblind. There are five main roles that interveners have. The first one is to provide consistent one-on-one -on -one access to instruction and environmental information, usually gained by hearing and sighted students through vision and hearing, but it's unavailable or incomplete to an individual who is deafblind. So basically, an intervener is the eyes and ears of a student who is deafblind. The second role is that interveners facilitate concept development. Students who are deafblind miss incidental information and have difficulty forming concepts. Hearing and vision are distal senses, so interveners basically take that information from the distance and bring it to the student. They're there to fill in those gaps. The third role is that interveners provide access to and or assist in the development and use of receptive and expressive communication skills. The fourth role is that the interveners facilitates the development and maintenance of trusting, interactive relationships that promote social and emotional well-being. And then the fifth role is that interveners provide support to form relationships with others and increase social connections and participation in activities. We have to be able to feel safe first before we can expect to learn anything. And an intervener acts as that consistent, familiar, or safe person for the student who is deafblind. And once the child feels safe to venture out from themselves, then they're in a position to be open to learning about others around them. Interveners help facilitate those interactions. Many have heard this before, but I'll say it again, the intervener motto is to do with and not for. We held a statewide intervener team training recently, and within this episode, you'll hear interviews with a parent of a child who is deafblind, an intervener, and a deafblind specialist teacher. You'll also hear experts from the Texas Deafblind Project as they present. My name is Jennifer Cook. I'm the deafblind specialist at Dallas ISD. It's amazing. The intervener can help facilitate the social piece so they can make friends and interact with their peers within the classroom. They facilitate communication with the teachers, like a lot of our students sign, and so they're within the RDSPD. But the classroom teachers kind of for 
they don't forget about this student, but they don't always include them in the instruction. So the intervener is super important to kind of remind the classroom teachers, hey, our student is still here. Let's bring them into this and let's figure out how they can participate. The intervener I brought is deaf, and she has a totally different perspective sometimes than I do about how to approach communication. And so just watching her, seeing things, think about things, and we process it, and how she's going to put it into play next week when we get back, like, that's exciting. But there's been so many opportunities in this training where it's like, oh, yeah, you hear a TDHH or a TSVI say, I do this with my kid. I'm like, oh. That would be perfect for this student and maybe I've just forgotten about it and then I'm like that strategy is perfect for not only the student we're here for but the other students as well so and we forget how powerful it is just the networking yes. and what you learn from each other being in the same space yes and how teachers approach things so differently from each other and so it's been really nice to collaborate and share ideas within small groups Let's learn a little bit about this phrase competent communication partners what does it mean to be a competent communication partner? So to recognize, confirm, and include bodily expressions from the entire body in the conversation. Much of what we're talking about these days is about tactile bodily language, tactile bodily access, tactile bodily exploration. Why do you think we're calling it tactile bodily and not just tactile? What do you think of when someone says tactile? Yep, I saw several people wiggle their fingers, hands hands, fingers, even fingertips isolated when people say tactile or tactile skills or tactile exploration. Do your but, students who are deafblind explore with just their hands? <laughs> so often beat, DJs like beat. Um, yeah, we have lots of kids who are really skilled at getting information with their feet. Also with their knee and their mouth and their forearm and their elbow and their hip and all parts of their body, not just the hands. So we've moved to using more of that phrase tactile bodily to remind people that we're looking at every inch of this kid's body. This, this kid is using his whole body or her whole body to explore. And uh, that is key. I am Charity Hodebeck, and I am a mother to a three-year-old who is completely deaf and partially blind. He is the smartest person in the room always, even as a three-year-old. He just amazes us every single day with how intelligent he is, even though he's not able to fully see his world or hear it at all. He's just figured out a way to live in it better than we ever could. So it's just been an amazing journey so far. So is he a preschooler? So he actually is in an early life skills program right now because he doesn't have communication because there's been a lot of obstacles with communication because he also has peripheral neuropathy in his legs and feet and hands and arms. So he can't sign and he can't feel things always with his limbs he can only feel in his torso and his head wow so that's a unique challenge for a child who's deafblind for sure yes because they have to feel the world tactily so having that same reliable dependable person that he knows he can trust is the biggest thing is something that we notice because when we first started going to into school or even out in the world if mom was that person for him 
Like, I've always been that person for him. But if mom wasn't there, he was uncomfortable. He didn't want to participate. He wasn't sure because he didn't have that trust with another person. So now that we have his intervener, as long as she's there and she can reassure him, he's like, okay, I'm good. I can do it. I can do anything you want me to do. As long as she's here, I'm good. Social interaction versus communication. They're closely related, um, but for um, our purposes here, interaction can be thought of as a process in which two people have influence upon each other. You need a partner in order to have an interaction, okay? That's a, that's a key component here. So then communication, unlike interaction, it has that shared meaning. And I think what's important about um, communication to remember is that it doesn't have to be tied with formal language. And so sometimes we'll ask, um, you know, oh, how, how does your student communicate? Well, they don't have any language. Well, they might not have what we consider formal language, but that doesn't mean that your student's not communicating with you. How often can we walk into a situation and just look at Casey and I can say, oh, I, I can just tell, right, by how by how her demeanor that maybe she's feeling stressed or maybe she's feeling excited. Our kiddos are the same way. There's a lot of communication that can happen outside of that formal language. All right, so now we're going to talk about, about the formal language. And interaction is the vehicle of communication, okay? So the student is communicating, but through interaction is how we develop this into formal language. We make sure that we have sustained interactions that help develop that quality communication. Um, that sustained communication is essential in developing the formal language. So we're going to talk a little bit more about um, each of these each of these components. But um, in the picture you see right there, this young man was in a bakery, went with his class, and he got his hand in a bowl of dough. And when he pulled it out, it was sticky, right? We know we know what dough feels like. And so the teacher took that opportunity. She noticed the dirty hands and that he was looking at it. And so she put her hands in the dough as well. And then she showed him. And she got in his accessible signing space and she was signing dirty, dirty. So she gave him that formal language to affirm to him um, what she saw and that she understood him. She followed his gaze um, and she let him know that she saw him and she acknowledged him. How we notice and affirm our students might look very different because they are deaf blind. Um, so we have to make sure that we're very aware of our students and that we individualize our approach so that we're acknowledging them in a way that works for them. On a morning leading up to Halloween and Spirit Week, I joined our student Yezdi as she reviewed her calendar and upcoming events with her intervener, LaJoy. Sarah, the classroom teacher, provided audio description and also conversed with Yezdi some too. LaJoy and Sarah both used ProTactile and American Sign Language throughout their interaction and conversations. Thursday, as Yesti stands up, LaJoy signs, what do? PJs, PJ day. In the same, you and me together, PJs, woo, high fives. And LaJoy gives Yesti some rhythmic pats on her hands to help her kind of process some information as Yesdi puts her hands on LaJoy's upper thighs and LaJoy's sitting down. Yesdi is smiling and rocking her head back and forth and just thinking and looking at LaJoy's pregnant belly and then up to LaJoy's face. 
And LaJoy signs ready. Your turn. And LaJoy signs Tuesday. Halloween. And yes, he signs yellow. And LaJoy enthusiastically signs yes with a big happy expression and PTL yeses. And LaJoy signs an ASL. What do? What do? What? Halloween? What do? And LaJoy begins to sign party, but waits for Yazdu to help her sign it. And Yazdu signs party with LaJoy. And Yazdu gives a big smile, and LaJoy laughs with PTL on Yazdu's shoulders. And then LaJoy signs an ASL next week, Tuesday. What do what? And Yazdi does a big smile and LaJoy enthusiastically says, what? And LaJoy says, look at me, I noticed you were checking out my nails. Ooh, you love nails. What? My turn, color, what? Nails, Yazdi signs. Gets a little frustrated and then signs nails. And then Yesdu is looking at LaJoy as she asks her in ASL, what color? And LaJoy, and Yesdu signs a P and then signs nails. Color, LaJoy asks, what? And Yesdu signs LaJoy nails. Yesdu starts to feel a little, little frustrated, so they move a little bit to reframe. And LaJoy says, oh, I understand in ASL. LaJoy. Her nails, what color? I remember Yesdi, she told me what? Pink. When? In three months after the baby's born, I can. Yes, 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 yes. Taps Yesdi's hands, meaning yes in protactile language. Yes, you just processes and thinks. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. The individual needs of all students must be considered for them to be successful, especially when it comes to communication and social interaction, building relationships, and feeling a sense of belonging in every space. Interveners provide all this and more for students who are deafblind. From the TSBBI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.